the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. Celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. In fact, it's our last show in July. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we've had a great week here with our Calvary Kids Bible School. That's uh, our version of Vacation Bible School. It has been loud. It has been crowded. Uh, It's been a great, great time. And tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of 1 Thessalonians 2 and into chapter 3. Uh, but I mention that because uh, one of the things that we do every year uh, on this particular Friday night is we'll have our Calvary Kids Bible School dancers, the kids who are here all week. Uh, they'll be providing the worship, and they'll be singing all the songs and dancing. It is a wonderful opportunity. And um, some of our adults will... Paula? of our adults will be dancing as well so you can see them breathing a little bit more deeply but it's just a wonderful time you talk about joy and these kids really really were excited so that's tonight at seven o'clock on our last sunday of the month i'm going to be teaching at a mark chapter 11 Uh, a lot of it's going to be about prayer so um That's this coming Sunday. Wherever it is you go to church, go with one purpose. Lord, how can I be used for other people? Who needs to be blessed? Who needs to be prayed for? Uh, Who can I comfort? Who can I encourage or exhort? And when you set your heart on serving other people, believe me, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and through you, and it will change your church experience forever. Okay, let me get to questions while we await any phone calls. Now, this week the phones have been quiet, so I'd like to have you call so we can close with a bang. Here is a question from uh, Debbie. She says, Hi, Mama Paul and Pastor Ron. Now, obviously, this was a question sent yesterday, but I'm just getting getting to it today. Um, What can you tell me about the Presbyterian faith and culture? I have a co-worker who's a Presbyterian, and I don't get the faith, never did get it. I don't understand how people cannot, and that's all capitalized, take the Word of God for the Word of God. I'll be listening on the radio. Debbie, thank you for asking. You know, one of the problems with with a question like this is that we have to broad broad brush, and I don't want to do that. The Presbyterians are a legitimate 
denomination. Uh, they are, uh, if they are mainstream, they are legitimate believers. Uh, I, I trust born again. That's the only way a believer can be, a true believer. Um, they have lots and lots of doctrinal issues uh, that I, I, I myself uh, have disagreement with. Um, but they are orthodox. They are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, many of them are um, uh, not believers in the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Uh, they believe uh, D. James Kennedy was a Presbyterian pastor, and he was well known for believing that the church was going to usher in the kingdom of God and that we were eventually going to win over. I mean, there's so many doctrinal problems with that, Debbie, that uh, it's hard to quantify. I mean, I don't know how D. James Kennedy and others, and believe me, he was a believer, uh, I don't know how they could come up with that. I mean, all they have to do is look around. And the emphasis on the ministry for a lot of those pastors becomes very political. Uh, they're trying to win the world, and, and at least they're being consistent with what they believe. It's just that what they believe is wrong. Now, here's what I think you're referring to. There has been a schism in the Presbyterian Church. It's been going on now for a long time. There's a very liberal wing uh, who has uh, resorted to uh, ordaining homosexuals, um, giving their blessings to um, gay marriage, uh, same-sex relationships. Um, um, simply that that group of the Presbyterian Church, they're not believers. It's that simple. You, you can't disagree with, with our Christ and call yourself a Christian. And so like many of the other denominations, none have escaped it, Episcopalians, um, United Methodists um, and others, um, they have wrestled with this idea of of uh, same-sex marriage and, and homosexual relationships and now, of course, uh, transgender uh, people. And, you know, it's all, well, we just want to love everybody and they can go to heaven, they can be the way they are. And uh, obviously that's not true. So um, they got in trouble, Debbie, because as you said in the question, um, they decided that the Word of God was not really the Word of God. It's easier just to dismiss or get rid of the, the, the passages of Scripture that you don't like, and that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, all credit um, to those Presbyterians who are remaining faithful to the text, um, but uh, they are becoming the minority in this day and age. Um, Presbyterians generally don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Um, so there's all kinds of doctrinal problems, Debbie, but uh, it sounds like your co-worker is in one of those liberal wings of Presbyterianism who who just simply, oh no, you can do this, God wants us to be happy kind of thing, and that's just not the case. So Debbie, I hope that makes sense to you. Anything else would be way too general and questions like that, I don't want to be too general. I'll just deal with them uh, specifically uh, to, to individual questions that come up. Here is a phone call, our first one of the day. This one is from Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're doing Hi, well in this heat. <laughs> oh, you, you know me. I love the heat. Ray, it's really good to hear from you. I haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, um, I I was wondering if you can straighten me out on Matthew eleven twenty seven because it seems like there's just no mention of the Trinity there, and I don't understand. Um, the the verse is uh, no one knows the son but the father and no one knows the father but the son da 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 you know what I, I can do that yeah okay. I, I do Ray all thank right. you very very much good to hear from you Ray I hope you're all I hope you're well um, this is really a prayer uh, Jesus speaking to his father and we we have to leave the context. Um, that's why there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember also, when Jesus was um, saying these this verse or these passages, uh, the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given. So he's simply saying, in response to um, 
the judgment that's going to come. And then he says, Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Now, when he gets that, what he's, he's saying is that all these religious leaders, these Jews who claim to know everything, they claim to be experts in the law and in the word. He's saying, you know, the, the, the things that kids understand has been hidden from them um, and basically, he sees this is a rebuke. So he's talking to his father, and then he says, "All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, and those to whom the son chooses to reveal to him." And then the next verse is a verse that everybody knows: "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened." I like the the King James says, "Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you." Uh, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, this is the truth that's been hidden. Uh, hidden to, to, from from the wise and learned, those who think they have the word of God figured out. Um, Jesus simply saying, if you really had the word figured out, you'd come to me. And so what Jesus is saying is to the others, those of you who are tired and burdened, those of you who will admit it. Come to me and I will give you rest. So um, this is just simply a conversation between Jesus and his Father. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not involved. Remember, when Jesus was here, Ray, walking on this earth, he was only doing what he saw his Father do and only saying what he heard his Father say. Uh, He didn't have any independent thought or action. Um, That doesn't diminish the role or the person of the Holy Spirit at all. Jesus, as you remember, Ray, uh, was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit upon his baptism. By that, I mean the Holy Spirit came to him in power when he came up out of the water uh, in the Jordan River. And from that point forward, he walked just like you and I have to walk every day with the Holy Spirit empowering us, the Holy Spirit revealing things to us. And that's what Jesus is addressing. So there's no intent at all to ignore the Holy Spirit. Uh, It was just Jesus and his Father speaking. And of course, everything Jesus is going to do from this point forward is a response by the power of the Holy Spirit. Good question, Ray. Thank you very, very much. Here is an anonymous question. This one Um, says, why do pastors get special privileges in church and seemingly are never questioned? Now, I don't know what the motivation behind asking this question is. I don't know that pastors get special privileges in church at all. Typically, pastors are the ruling elders of a church. Uh, Certainly, that's the case here at Calvary Chapel. But that doesn't mean we get. I get special privileges. Um, uh, maybe there are churches where pastors are treated um, way too over the top uh, in terms of their privilege and their anointing. And I use that term intentionally. Uh, don't touch God's anointed, they will say. But I don't know. Uh, really what you mean by special privileges. Uh, I don't have a special parking place. I don't have uh, access to anything that the people in my church don't have. Certainly, I'm not having people kiss a ring or bow down before me. Uh, so so I, I'm really not quite sure what you mean. Now, when you say why they're seemingly never questioned, the pastor is the teaching elder in the church. And our job is to teach And in a church service, we're giving messages or delivering sermons, uh, and there's not time to say, anybody have any questions? So uh, it's just not the right time. I don't know very many pastors, Anonymous, who wouldn't make themselves available uh, for any questions that you had. Um, uh, at, At our church, I'm accessible. Uh, by all the people. Now, sometimes it's a little hard to get an appointment because I get booked up pretty quick, but but um, uh, I'll talk to, to anybody. Um, and uh, I, I don't want people not to be able to, to have their questions answered. So uh, the experience that you're talking about here seems a little bit foreign to me. Can I also say one thing that's only tangentially related to this? 
um, for all of you, when you want to talk to your pastor on a Sunday, don't do it. Just don't do it. Uh, when I get done teaching, there's just too many people waiting to talk to me. We've got, uh, when we do really, really good, we've got 25 minutes between services. And um, um, most of the time we don't do that good. But uh, there's always people that want to talk to me. And my focus is on people that I haven't met yet. I want uh, my, my pastors and the people in the church that are serving, they know uh, to bring people to me. If they want to meet me and if they've never met me before, especially when they call for the radio audience, uh, I, I, I like to meet people. And I can't do that. And there's always people that want to dominate the time. And they seem at times to be oblivious to the numbers of people around them. So uh, don't talk to your pastors. I mean, say hi and I love you, Pastor, but, but don't expect to get into a conversation. I'll have people who come up and say, Pastor, I just need 10 minutes. I don't have 10 minutes between services. Uh, I, I'll always tell people like that, call my office manager, and she will make you an appointment. She knows when my schedule is open, and, and, and we'll sit down, and I'll spend an hour with you if that's, that's what it takes. But don't insist on talking to your pastors on Sunday. There's just too many people around, and it's just never really a good environment to ask questions. A lot of the time, the people that come up to me that I'm spending time with are people who are going through uh, heartbreaking things, just heartbreaking things, and they're crying. And and in my case, uh, I'll, my heart is so hurting for people, uh, and uh, I can see a bunch of people lining up, sort of getting impatient. Uh, but but there's some people we just need to take some time with. So wait until another day. Make an appointment. That's always the best time to speak to your pastor. And again, questions are welcomed. I'll answer any question just the way I do on this radio program. Thank you for the question. This is a question from Vicki. She says, I read about some pastors who came out against Roe being overturned. Am I missing something? You know, Vicki, uh, um, most of the, the, the pastors that are um, speaking out against uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned are from liberal, um, really non-Christian churches. Uh, they advertise themselves as Christians. But they're really not Christians at all. They're not born again. They're liberally liberal theologically. Uh, they 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 have no understanding of the Bible or how we got it. They have no understanding of how to to rightly divide the Word of God. Um, those are that's really really important. Um, but but you know I can't for the life of me understand why even a liberal theologian. Not not a liberal political person, a liberal theologian, somebody who's got it all wrong. I, I can't understand why they would be against Roe being overturned. I just don't do it. I don't think you're missing anything at all. Um, I guess if they're politically left, then they're going to be um, uh, for a woman's right to murder her baby. You know, I always say, I want a woman's right to choose. Well, she has no right to choose to murder her child. And, and that is as clear as Scripture can make it. And yet, um, somebody who claims to be a Christian will come out against it. I, I saw um, a, one one pastor is at an African American church, um, and, and he was actually saying, um, heretically, he was saying that Jesus would be pro-choice, and 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 twisted and turned Scriptures horribly. To come to that. So, Vicki, I don't get it either. I mean, if there's one thing a Christian, you know, Jesus talked about a united church, um, um, how, how important it was to be one, is, is he and the Father are one. Uh, if, there's, if there's anything that we should all be in complete unity about, it's being overjoyed that maybe some children are going to be saved because of this. So, I, I just. They're, they're, they're lost. They need Jesus. They need to be born again. It doesn't matter how much they scream and yell or, or, or say the name of Jesus Christ. Um, there is no one who can be pro-murdering children who can claim to be a Christian. It's simply not possible. 
Now, I say that, and I know I'm certain. I don't know who they are, but I'm certain I've got some women in my church who are, are, are pro-choice. And, um, and they listen to me all the time. Um, but, but, man, I, I don't understand how that heart can claim to be a born-again Christian. It would be better for somebody like that simply to say, okay, Jesus, I don't care what you say. This is what I want. At least that's honest and God could deal with it. So I don't know. There, there, there are pastors who uh, have come out against this, uh, Vicky, but um, I don't really understand why. This is a call I've been waiting for since Monday. Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. Everything okay? Uh, yeah, just just uh, need prayer. Uh, a lot of prayer. Uh, my dad fell, and and he's. He's uh, he's okay, but he's just been in bed. It hasn't really moved a lot, and um, I, I I've allowed the enemy to to mess with my mind, and I haven't slept much this week, and I'm I'm just like on pins and needles because I just I'm I'm so so tired. I, I want to go to sleep, but I can't, and. And I, I've allowed the enemy to do this. I just so I just just ask for prayer. I, please, please, Ruben. I'm I'm going to pray for you now, but I'm also going to address this. So I would ask you, please, to to listen. Let me open in a word of prayer. Father, we just had a question from Ray about uh, the verse where you said, "Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden." You promised, Lord, that you would give us rest. And that's what I pray for my dear brother, Reuben. I pray for rest, Lord. Fall upon him, and by the power of your Spirit, not only give him rest, but give him peace. Reuben has experienced such great victory for so many, so many difficult things he's gone through. And Lord, remind him of all of the times when he's seen your hand move. Remind him, Lord, of how close that he's been with you and how you promise that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Remind him of your presence where he is now. And Lord, I pray even now for rest, for sleep. And I pray that Reuben will take the counsel that I'm about to give now. We thank you for the work that you've done in this man's heart. So many people praying for him, Lord. I know you're hearing our prayers and answering Amen. Now, Reuben, here's what I want you to really think about. What Jesus said in his letter to the church at Ephesus applies right now to you. Do what you know to do. Go back and do the things you did at first. This is when you need to be tough enough to fight and do the things you don't feel like doing. I mean, you've opened the door for the enemy and you said, honestly, I've let the enemy have an opening. Well, now you and Jesus can close that door. And all you have to do is remember your first love. Remember what it was like all those times that you've called and and you've been especially encouraging to other people. You know, you've called enough that people here get to know you and they're praying for you and they know what you've been through. And when you call and have been used by God to encourage so many others, uh, people think, well, that's a God I can serve. So remember those things. And then repent. It's, it's not a scolding. Just repent. Say, Lord, I've opened this door for the enemy. And so together, Jesus, you and I, how about we shut it? I'm sorry, Lord, that I got my eyes off you, that I let my dad falling. That happened on the air here, uh, for those of you in the audience, um, on Monday. And uh, had to, he had to leave the, the, the conversation in mid-sentence. Um, but you can say, Jesus, I've let, let, let that and the other things going on in my life cause me to lose focus. So I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And because his forgiveness is instant, then um, you can be refreshed. You can be refreshed in his presence. But you've got to fight, Reuben. You've got to do the things that you were doing um, for that, that whole time when things were going better and better and better for you, you know, when when you would say, boy, I was reading the Word today and you have questions about the Bible, get back in the Word. I know you don't feel like it. I know the enemy is trying to, 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 to frustrate you. 
But remember what it was like when the Lord was speaking to your heart in the Word. Talk to Him. Talk to Him all day. That doesn't give the enemy any opportunity to interrupt. Jesus and you will be so close that the enemy can't mess with you anymore. But we have to be. We have to remember that any distance that we allow between us and Jesus, any distance at all, the enemy is going to take advantage of that. Not only is he relentless, uh, he is without an ounce of compassion or empathy. He wants to destroy. And he knows which buttons to push with you. And what you've got to do is be unpushable. I know that doesn't make sense to most people, but but you and I, we get that, Reuben. And what you do is you simply say, Jesus, I'm going to hang with you. doesn't matter what I feel like. It doesn't matter what's going on. I choose of my own free will to serve you and to walk with you and to talk with you. So, Reuben, don't wait until you feel like doing those things. Do those things. Because you know Jesus will be faithful. He always has been. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. Reuben, we are praying for you. Um, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. We are AM 630, The Word. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630, The Word. We're taking your calls at 210-340-9585. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our home stretch, 30 minutes left in the program. I've been inundated Yesterday and today, with people asking me, well, well, now that the the, the lottery is up to a billion dollars, is it okay to play? If you want to play, then God gives you the freedom to do it. That's all. I'd rather trust God. But if there's anybody in the listening audience who plays and wins, don't forget Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Here's a question from Matt. Oh, we got a question first. I'm sorry. Call first. Uh, we've got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I actually have two things. I just heard Ruben's call, and if he's still listening, I wanted to read uh, some of my very favorite and most helpful scriptures, and it's Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 23, and I'm going to read it out of the NIV, and it says, okay. Remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I thought if Reuben can write that down, that I thought it might help, because I know it's helped me um, day after day after day. Now, the other thing I have is I had questions about our study Wednesday night. Now, when um, Elijah and Elisha were going from um, the towns like the Gilgal and the Bethel and Jericho and Jordan, all those all uh, cities or towns that they were traveling to, and if so, would there be like a couple days that it would take to get to all those towns? And then also, I was wondering, all the, um, I guess the prophets that were coming up to Elisha, saying that Elijah was going to be taken, how did they know that? And were they traveling, if these are different towns that they were going, were they all kind of caravanning and traveling along with them? So those are my questions. And Reuben, you're being prayed for. And I'll um, get off the phone and and put my radio back on and listen to you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. God bless. She's so kind. Um, A couple things. Yes, they were towns. 
uh, except for the Jordan. The Jordan is the Jordan River, of course. But but these were places to have stopped, and there was distance. So this involves some travel. We read Second uh, Kings two, and it it just seems like you know from one stop to the next stop. But but there was some time to travel. So th- these were some pretty prolonged tests, um, uh, really testing Elisha's resolve. And um, uh, three times Elijah gave him a way out. No, I'm going. You don't have to go. I'm going. And Elisha said, no, no matter what, as long as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And so, um, yeah, it was a, a, an opportunity for Elisha to be tested. And he obviously passed the tests. And we know how it turned out. Um, a couple of things. The School of Prophets. It would be like a Bible school to us. Uh, these weren't prophets of God, like um, Isaiah was a prophet or Jeremiah was a prophet. And by the way, I'm reading Jeremiah again now in my personal time, and uh, I have been so abundantly blessed. Um, so I hope that makes sense. But uh, they, So they, they were school of prophets, and clearly, um, maybe through their teachers, the Holy Spirit had let them know that Elijah was on his way out. So God was preparing Elijah for his departure. He was preparing Elisha for his um, new ministry. Uh, And he was preparing the people to receive Elisha the same way they had received Elijah in terms of authority and authenticity. So that's what that was. You know, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is First Corinthians, and this is a discipleship type thing. First uh, Corinthians four two. It says it is required that every man, and you can add woman as well, given a trust by God, must prove faithful. And this was Elisha's test, and he had been prepared, chosen by God, and he resolved to 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 stay the course. So that's what was going on there. Um, also, uh, I, I, typically you don't go to Lamentations for encouragement, but that was a good passage that Cindy read for Reuben. I would add this one from Psalm 43, uh, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why the unease within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And Reuben, I just thought of that verse because you are a praise guy. Uh, you're a worship leader. Um, so do what God has gifted you to do and you will be blessed. Thank you, Cindy, for the question. And I thank you personally for your prayers on Reuben's behalf. Matt wants to know, do you mean, do I believe people's experience of going to heaven are real? Um, Matt, people can go to heaven. We know we have biblical precedent for that. The apostle Paul was taken to heaven. But here's the way we can test those experiences for veracity. Um, Paul said, when I went to heaven, I saw things that man, and that's a general man, mankind, men, people, are not permitted to tell. So whenever you've got somebody who says, I've gone to heaven and I saw streets of gold and I saw my mansion and I saw this and I saw that, you know those experiences are not real. I mean, they may be real, but if they are, they're demonic. And we can discount them. So um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that God um, will will take somebody on a on an escorted trip to heaven uh, to reveal something to him or 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 whatever um, God's purpose might be. It's just that we wouldn't be able to share those experiences with other people. And whenever you see people writing books or people making movies or people trying to describe what they saw in heaven. That's simply not true. Matt, let me tell you a very quick story. Uh, A a guy who I consider a friend um, who uh, is not going to go to heaven. And he's not going to go to heaven because he had a really bad motorcycle accident. And uh, he says when he was in that accident and he was hovering near death, he said he had one of those near-death experiences. And he said, he said, I saw a light and I started to walk toward that light. And there was so much love and so much comfort. There was just, it was so perfect. It was the most beautiful thing. I didn't want to come back. And I woke up and found myself still alive. And I was really, really upset because I, I, I started walking down that tunnel. 
And he said that Jesus told him that he was fine, he was coming to heaven, this is what awaited you. Remember that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And if Jesus were there, and my friend is not born again, now he doesn't think he has to be, um, Jesus would have told him, the only way to heaven is through me. You need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness of your sins. And you need to surrender your life to me. So um, my point in all of this is that we can't depend on experiences. And we certainly, Matt, don't want to depend on experiences that other people have when those experiences are counterintuitive uh, or contradictory to the Word of God. Thank you very much. Fred says, will you talk about the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus at his baptism? The Holy Spirit hadn't been given, but Jesus got it. Yeah, and I think, Fred, we can say clearly that Jesus is an exception to the rule. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given to the world yet until after Jesus' death and resurrection. And, of course, Acts chapter 2 is when that happened. But the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. It wasn't a dove. Um, but in the form of a dove. It was evidently visible to John. It was evidently visible, of course, to Jesus. But it was just sort of the inauguration of Jesus' ministry uh, here on earth. He would have three and a half or so years of, of active ministry. And that was sort of the initiation of it. And you're right, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet because Jesus was alive. Uh, however... Um, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, and the reason is so important for us, instructively so. It's important because Jesus wanted to prove that as 100% man, he walked through his ministry on this earth just like you and I do, under the direction of and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't walk on a cloud of air. Jesus didn't do miracles to make his life easier. Jesus went through everything and more that we go through. And he didn't do it by pulling the God card. He did it simply by being obedient to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Very, very important for us to remember. Jesus set an example for all of us. You know, what's interesting, Fred, to me about that passage of Scripture is that when the Spirit came upon Jesus, the first thing the Spirit did was lead him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, depriving him of food and water to be tempted directly by the devil. We would think that if the Spirit came upon Jesus, the voice rang out, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, our humanness would would demand that, well, then he gets a special pass or he gets an easy uh, um, uh, assignment. But that's not what happened. He started with the most difficult, uh, and he had to sit in the presence of the devil and be tempted directly by the devil. And, of course, the devil, because he's a coward, waited until the last minute, until Jesus was weak, had no water, no food, and then he came. And Jesus, of course, resisted, and we have a record of that in the temptation of Jesus. Fred, good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Anonymous says, I'm laughing because everybody's going to laugh when I read it. Uh, Pastor Ron, what do you say about marrying someone who's not a Christian? Um, Anonymous, hear me. Don't do it. Don't do it. You will be saying yes to more pain than anything you could ever imagine. There is never an exception, never, 27 years as a pastor here, never once is there an exception about pain in an unequally yoked marriage. It's always there. You have nothing in common. Uh, the unbelieving spouse, the believing spouse, they have nothing in common. How could we want to spend time with somebody who doesn't love our Jesus at least as much or more than we do? And every time somebody says, but I fell for him or I fell for her, there's always enormous pain. Most often those marriages end in divorce. Um, and many, many times uh, the victim of that unequally yoked marriage, uh, it's a self-inflicted wound, but they're a victim nonetheless. Um, they, 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 they simply never get over that pain. So just don't do it. Just don't do it. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians 
and says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what do light and darkness have in common? What does the Father and Belial have in common? And those are rhetorical questions, screaming, There's, they, they have nothing in common. So why would we want to be involved? Now, I don't want to appear naive, Anonymous. I understand emotions. I understand somebody sweeping you off your feet. Um, but believe me, the prediction is pain. I sound like Clubber Lang there. But but the prediction is pain. And there's never an exception. Now, there are some good times. But there's always so much pain. And it can't be avoided. It can't be avoided. So don't do it. Please don't do it. Elaine says... Why didn't the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 get filled with the Holy Spirit until Peter and John came? Um, Very important question here, both in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and the uh, um, other Romans, the other Gentiles, um, were saved. Um, Peter, and in Acts chapter 8, John was with him. They were there to validate a work that Jews didn't think God would do. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. So when Philip went to Samaria and people were getting saved, they were responding to the gospel, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit in that sense. The Spirit came upon them. Uh, came upon them. They, they believed. Um, but in order so that Jews would accept the work God was doing in Samaritans, um, Peter was sent there um, by the Lord and and John um, to validate it. And so uh, when they came to find out, they heard all the reports about the work that Philip was doing, and um, they went to check it out for themselves. And when they prayed for them and they spoke in other tongues, or they, there were other manifestations of the power of the Spirit, um, it was it was so Peter could once say, "Who was I to deny when the Spirit came upon them just as He came upon us?" And the same thing is true, Elaine, in Acts chapter ten, with Gentiles, because Jews hated Gentiles even more. So that that was two special events, where uh, in order for the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and remember at this point the church was entirely Jewish, in order for the Jewish church to accept them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. There had to be apostolic approval. And Peter would go and he would come and report. Remember when he went to Cornelius' house and word got back to some of the Jewish Christians, especially uh, the, the, the Pharisees who had been saved. It was like, you went into the house of a Gentile. You know that's unlawful. And Peter was able to say, look, I went in response to a vision. He explained the vision. Um, he said, and then uh, as I was teaching, I didn't even give an invitation. As I was teaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and, and they spoke in tongues just like we did at first. So again, who am I to deny the work? And uh, Peter convinced them, and eventually the people were thrilled that God was doing a work outside a little box that they'd created. So that's the reason, and it's only in those two uh, episodes um, Samaritans and Gentiles, Jews never would have accepted them. Um, but when the evidence was corroborated, validated by Peter and John and some of the other apostles, um, it was pretty simple. Wow, God is doing something brand new. So, Elaine, that's the reason. Thank you for asking. Um, Jesus says, Can you provide some Bible study tips? Where should I start? Jesus, God bless you for for wanting to dig into the Bible. I, I can, um, assuming that you're born again, I would always start in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's small. It's manageable. It's wonderfully designed. I call it a divine design. Uh, the first three chapters will tell you everything that God has done for you. And then the next three chapters, how should you respond What should your life look like as a grateful response to everything God has done for us? And if I were you, Jesus, I'd read um, chapter 1 three or four times. It's not very long. Read it three or four times. The next day or later in that same day, read chapter 2 three or four times. And repeat that 
and and then when you get to chapter four, when you've when you've read the first three chapters multiple times, then go to chapter four and just let the Spirit of God make sense of it to you. Now, if you're not born again, I always tell people to start in the Gospel of John, and the reason. I do that is because the emphasis there is on the deity of Jesus, on the power of God, um, and um, Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit will lead you. you you'll, you'll come to the conclusion that Jesus truly is God, and you've got a decision to make. Do I believe him or not? So that's where I would start. But after that, Jesus, the, the word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. So... Actually, you can read anywhere, but read it systematically. Don't just open the Bible and start reading. But but start at the beginning of a book and then read to the end of the book. Not You don't have to do it all in one setting. Some books are very, very long. But whatever time you've got, just read. And then when you open the Bible back up, you pick up where you left off. So read it systematically. The other thing I would suggest, Jesus, is that in your personal reading, you have both an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. Once you get past Ephesians and or the Gospel of John, then have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And the and the, the, the purpose of that is just to get you to start turning the pages and get an overview of what the Bible is really all about. The story from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is all about Jesus. So in the Old Testament, look for Jesus. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus will jump off the pages at you. So just read it. Get get used to your Bible. Do me a favor, Jesus, and this is just until you get some depth. Try to avoid electronic Bibles for a while. Just get a Bible where you have to turn the pages. There's something supernatural about that. And, and you have to learn where stuff is. Um, I know it's awkward and there's going to be a lot of stuff that you don't understand, but turn the pages. And once you become proficient knowing the Bible or at least having an overview of what the Bible is all about and how to get through it, uh, then if you, you're going to use your phone or electronic Bibles, then that's okay. I have nothing against electronic Bibles. My vision is so bad that I have to use uh, uh, my iPad, my my. my brothers here at the church have set it up for me where the letters are super, super big so I can read it. And it's really uh, a blessing for me. So I actually use it. So I'm not um, contradicting what I just said, but but know the Bible first. I went through so many Bibles. My Bibles were just destroyed. Paula will open her Bible and it seems like we get a new Bible all the time. She'll open a Bible and pages fall out. That's because she's turning the pages, and that's how we really get to know it. Hey, Jesus, thank you, and God bless you for that. We're inside five minutes now, I think I saw. Okay, this is from Erica. Is there any way to prove that trans kids are really the wrong gender scientifically before they start taking hormones? Oh, Eric, I was talking about this to um, to somebody else today, a family who's going through uh, this very issue. Um, scientifically or otherwise, there's no way to prove that somebody's born in the wrong body. It's just impossible because it's not true. It's simply not true. Now, I understand body dysphoria. I understand, uh, especially with young women, young girls, uh, they're always around puberty, uh, uncomfortable with their bodies. Um, they get it, and this provides a solution. Well, if you're uncomfortable with your body, if you don't like what you see in the mirror, then maybe it's because you're you're really a different gender. And the pressure is enormous on our, our young people, especially young girls. The pressure is enormous on them, and they get so much um, love and, and attention uh, simply by... Um, um, making the the jump. Okay, well, well, I think I'm in the wrong body, and then they'll have people get them on on hormones and things. And let me tell you something, Erica. When when people are uh, taking hormones, they're changing their bodies. They're changing how their bodies function. Um, men becoming more effeminate. 
um, um, girls, women um, becoming more masculine, the ability to grow hair, and and uh, just everything changes. You're you're, you're messing with the metabolism. You're messing with the system, um, and the consequences down the road are going to be unthinkable, unthinkable for a moment of feeling better, for a moment of being approved and accepted by uh, their social media peers. Um, They're making decisions that in the long run are going to be so destructive, decisions that the enemy is going to use to try to destroy him. And with all of my heart, and I say this with great sadness, um, I think the suicide rate uh, for these young people who are undergoing hormone or, or testosterone therapies um, to change who they are, uh, change how they view things, uh, is going to be, uh, th- there's going to be tragic consequences. And of course, the world that we live in will never admit that they were wrong about these things. It's the silliest thing ever. Um, but one of the things that they should do is talk to people who have been through it. There is a, a, a girl named Kirshner, and I can't think of her first name uh, right off the top of my head. Uh, but but Kirshner, she's not a believer, but she's one that got dragged into uh, altering her body with hormones, testosterone, and on coming through it on this end of it. Um, she's she's a very effective YouTube ministry. If you'll just uh, Google Kirshner, K-E-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. Um, um, she 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 a very powerful ministry to uh, the young men and women, especially the young women who are being duped by all of this. So, Erica, nobody's in the wrong body. We may not like our body, but this is the one given to us by the maker of all things. Hey, it's the end of a week. I'll see you in August. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I will see you on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. The Word to Stand On for Life airs every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life is sponsored by Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.